Well, congregation, please turn your Bibles with me this evening to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, the psalm which no doubt is considered a favorite by many for those who find themselves wondering where God is and whether God really is who He has revealed Himself to be. Perhaps some of us have, have known what it's like to wonder about these things in our hearts. Let's give our careful attention to what God says to us here in this prayer. In Psalm 77, this is the word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. For your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, With much love and care for the church of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given us this prayer of Asaph. The Holy Spirit has given us this prayer for those moments and seasons in life when we begin to to feel as though God is, is far from us, as though God has forgotten to be faithful. With much love and care, the Spirit of Christ has given us words to pray in those moments of distress and anguish, and we feel as though we don't even know where to begin, when we ourselves can't muster up the words in our hearts to to say with our lips. The Spirit of Christ has given us words to pray when we become spiritually exhausted, when our hands have been stretched out, as it were, night after night, but only to be met with what appears to be the silence of God. 
For while God always hears us, He doesn't always answer us right away, does He? Remind of the words of a singer-songwriter, Andrew Peterson, who sings about the silence of God, saying it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod, and heaven's only answer is the silence of God. Well, this appears to be the experience of the psalmist and of the Old Testament church here in Psalm 77. Day and night, Asaph has offered up his prayers to God in the midst of much pain and turmoil. And his only comfort in the world is the knowledge that God will hear him. He says in verses 1 through through 3, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Asaph doesn't tell us what is the the reason for his turmoil, what is the, the reason for his anguish, as he offers up this prayer on behalf of himself and the Old Testament church of God, but that they find themselves in a state of turmoil is quite clear. Not all is well with the people of Israel. But that Asaph has not revealed to us the exact reason or cause for this turmoil is in and of itself a great gift of the Holy Spirit's grace, isn't it? For the Holy Spirit wished to provide the Church of Christ with with a prayer that would not be confined to, to one place or to one time, but rather he sought to give us a prayer that would be timeless, that could be prayed throughout the ages until the end of the world. And regardless of whether this psalm's origin is found early on in the life of Israel during some great calamity or, or later, perhaps in the, the wake of exile, the burden of the psalm is quite clear. The burden of the psalm lies in the question that the psalmist raised in verses 7 through 9, questions that we too sometimes begin to, to wonder in our hearts. Will, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? But then perhaps you notice the shift in verses 10 and following, where the psalmist seems to, to come to his senses, as it were, and so as to say, wait a minute, how can I, how can I really question in the end the goodness and faithfulness of God when, when I take a moment to to reflect on and remember the wonderful works of God and all the the great and awesome deeds that he has done for his people. And then as he recounts these great and mighty deeds of the Lord, as he recounts these deeds throughout the history of God's people, as he meditates on them, he comes to a realization, this grand discovery that we must come to as well. And the realization that he comes to is this, that although God had clearly been leading his people in wonderful ways, he often did so in ways that were not so obvious or visible to the naked eye. God's way was through the sea, his path through great waters. And boys and girls, you know what Asaph is calling to mind. He's calling to mind that great climactic moan of the Old Testament church as Israel is brought through the waters of the Red Sea. God's way was through that sea, through those great waters. But his footprints were unseen. This is the way God often works in the lives of his people. 
Although his footprints are not always visible, his presence is undeniable. And seeing this as one pastor causes the believer to gain a new perspective on the situation of his life and on the situation of the life of the church, and it causes him to find great comfort in the knowledge of the Lord. That although his footprints may not always be visible, his footprints are everywhere. And this is the perspective I'd like for us to embrace this evening. This is the perspective that the Holy Spirit wants us to have as, as we look back on the year of 2021, as well as as we look forward down the road to come. The Holy Spirit would have us to, to live in this confidence of faith, trusting with all our hearts that, that although God's footprints are not always visible, His presence is undeniable. As we work our way through this passage, I invite you to consider three things together with me this evening. First of all, the church's crisis of faith. And then secondly, the church's commitment of faith. And then finally, the church's confession of faith. Well, as I've already alluded to, the psalmist pours out his prayer to God at a time of great spiritual crisis. And being closely tied to the other songs of Book 3 in the Psalter, and especially to Psalms 75 and 76, Psalm 77 says one writer provides a close-up view of the effect that a national crisis has on the faith and confidence of an individual believer. And Psalm 77 reminds us that there is a close relationship between the state of the church and the faith experience of the individual believer. For when God's people fall on hard times, that creates questions and even doubts for his children. And that's certainly true, isn't it? It's often the case, isn't it, that when things begin to grow wrong, we have to go wrong. We have to make an especially careful and concerted effort to to stand firm in our faith rather than than run away from our faith to the fleeting comforts of the world. This is what Psalm 77 teaches us as the Spirit of Christ walks us step by step through this faith struggle of Asaph and of the Old Testament Church of God. This he does in order to to teach us we might learn how to overcome our own personal doubts and fears. And we struggle to understand why God is is doing what he's doing or why God isn't doing something we wish he was doing. And the first thing we learn here in this psalm is that those in those moments when we are most afraid and most doubtful, in those moments of confusion and distress, we can indeed express those concerns to the God who hears, even as the psalmist instructs us to do here. And we can, we can describe to God exactly what it is that we feel ourselves to be experiencing. We read in verses 4 and following that, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And I said, let me remember my song of the night. Let me meditate in my heart. But then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion forever? In other words, the psalmist is giving voice to the most fearful question that an anxious soul can harbor. Was I right actually to believe God? Was the church correct in, in believing that God would be faithful to his promises? And at first glance, it may come as almost a shock to us that one would dare even utter questions like this. But here they are, written down and recorded for us here. 
And here we discover the Holy Spirit, knowing the, the thoughts of our hearts even better than we do, allows us to, to express the troubled thoughts of our hearts, even if those thoughts be, thout, be thoughts of doubt and fear. Because such is often the experience of the church of Christ on the earth, isn't it? We oftentimes feel that, that tension between the already and the not yet of our salvation. We sometimes feel in our hearts as though the promises of God are, are slowly lagging behind the, the disappointing realities of life. And this experience can at times hurl the church into such a crisis of faith that she begins to wonder, is God really who he says he is? Will God really do what, what he said he will do? But in the midst of this experience, in this crisis of faith, Matthew Henry writes that our only recourse is to seek him until we find him. For those who are under trouble of mind must not think to drink it away or laugh it away, but rather, says Matthew Henry, they must pray it away. That's what the psalmist is teaching us to do here, to, to bring our questions, our doubts, and our fears to the Lord to bring these doubts to the God who hears. And then says Matthew Henry, as we do that, we need to to let our faith answer those questions with the word of God. So you might ask the question, will will the Lord spurn or cast off forever? We need to answer with the word of God. By no means, says Paul in Romans 11, verse 1. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Psalm 94, verse 14. Will the Lord never again be favorable? Surely he will. For though he cause us grief, says Jeremiah, he will yet have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Lamentations 3.32 As God's steadfast love forever ceased, are his promises at an end for all time? We answer, no, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, Psalm 136, and his promises are true for all time, for it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, verse 18. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And faith answers with the word of God, no, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Exodus 34, verse 6, and the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you, Isaiah 30, verse 18. And so in the midst of this turmoil and distress, the psalmist is is teaching us something that is so crucial for every crisis of faith that we endure, and that's the call to faith or, or the commitment to faith, which we see in the second place this evening. Notice the shift that takes place in verse 10, where, where it's almost as though the psalmist takes pause. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Or to translate the verse more literally, having now poured out his complaints to God, more literally the psalmist now says, then I said, this has been my sorrow. Or this has been my hurt. As I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. In other words, as the psalm now shifts, it begins with this summary statement of, of Lord, this has been my experience. As I, as I compare what I'm going through now with, with the joy that I once knew long ago. But then he gives expression to his commitment of faith. And here the, the Holy Spirit teaches us to do the same, so that when we 
come to the end of ourselves and recognize our own helpless state, we too recommit ourselves to, to remembering and reflecting on those precious truths of the gospel and the manner in which God redeemed his people. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. In the midst of their distress, the faithful call to mind the incomparable deeds of the Lord. And they meditate on how those deeds reflected God's grace to his people, how those deeds reflected his power to redeem his people. The verbs in these two verses highlight for us what are some of the the primary activities of saving faith. What does saving faith do? Saving faith remembers. Saving faith ponders. Saving faith meditates on the deeds, wonders, and works of the Lord. For the works of the Lord for his people, says Matthew Henry, have truly been wondrous works. They are recorded for us that they may be remembered by us. But in order that we may benefit from the remembrance of them, we must meditate upon them and dwell on them in our thoughts. For as we do so, the Holy Spirit renews that sense of confidence in our hearts and and directs us again to, to point our focus on the nature and and character of God, as he does here in verses 13 through 15, where the psalmist says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You're the God who has made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And as the psalmist remembers these things, We see his commitment of faith and what ought always to be the church's commitment of faith, never ceasing in the midst of crisis to bring to mind all the things that God has done. For what God has done for his church, says one pastor, is a standing declaration of his almighty power. What God has done for his church is a standing declaration of his almighty power to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him in faith. And this commitment of faith ought always also to give way to making a great confession of faith, which we see finally in our passage tonight. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. But you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The psalmist concludes his psalm by recognizing that God often brings us to the end before he finally intervenes, doesn't he? You can imagine Israel approaching the the waters of the Red Sea and getting ever closer to those waters, all the while hearing the the chariots of Egypt and the armies of Egypt hastening their way to take them back into captivity. You can imagine the people of Israel wondering, what on earth are we supposed to do? Trapped now between the Red Sea and the armies of Egypt. And you can hear the people of Israel crying out as they did. Is this what it's all been about? Has has God brought us out of Egypt only to let us die here at the edge of the sea? 
But then what did God do? He did that great work of redemption. And though they did not see Him, He parted the waters of the sea so that Israel walked through the sea as on dry ground, all the while swallowing up those chariots and armies of Egypt. But after that great commotion, the commotion of the winds blowing and lightning thundering, there was not a trace that God had been there at all. There was no enduring empirical empirical. Uh, evidence that, that the waters had been parted. But only a band of Israelites singing praises to God on the other side. The waters of the sea having been sewn back together. Reflecting on this passage, one pastor notes how God often covers his tracks as he performs his mighty deeds of deliverance for his people. And in so doing, he thus summons his people to remember and believe. This is what the Spirit of Christ summons us to tonight as we look back on 2021. In the midst of our confusion and various crises of faith, he summons us to remember and believe that God is indeed working all things together for good. This is the church's confession of faith. Although we do not always understand God's ways, and although we don't always understand why God does, the way, does things the way he does them and, and why he allows things to, to happen in our lives the way he often does, God is yet leading his people like a flock. And this is our great comfort in this life. And so as we've watched the world spiral into greater degrees of unrest and uncertainty, and as we ourselves have, have endured the changes and the trials of of the last two years especially, and while it's hard for us to see God's footprints in all this, where he's been and what he's doing, of this we can be sure. Of this we can be confident that God has not abandoned his flock. But just as he led Israel through the Red Sea, not, not over the Red Sea, not around the Red Sea, but as God led Israel through those tumultuous waters of the Red Sea by the hand of Moses and Aaron, so too God is leading us through the seas of this life, isn't he? And just as God led Israel by the hand of Moses and Aaron, so too God leads us by the hand of him who is greater than Moses by the hand of the Lord Jesus. For as we just celebrated a week ago in the Lord Jesus Christ, what took place? But in Christ's coming, that God's footprints were made manifest on the earth. God's footprints are made manifest throughout the life and ministry of Christ as he walked where we walked, as he endured all the struggles and sorrows of this life, yet without sin. And as Jesus made these footprints on the ground, leading his disciples and, and teaching the truth of the Scriptures, what did, he, what did he say to that crowd as he surveyed the crowd and, and saw that they were distressed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, as as he saw these fearful, anxious people, what did he say? He said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we know this to be true because of the ultimate sacrifice that he made, dying the sinner's death upon the cross, and so enduring the, the full weight of the psalmist's burden, enduring the full weight of the psalmist's question. Where he experienced the Lord spurning him and casting him off. Where he experienced the God forgetting his promises, as it were, abandoning him there at the cross of Christ. 
where he experienced the total removal of God's favor as he cried out like the psalmist here in Psalm 77, but he cried out too with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as we also know, God did not spurn him forever, did he? For in three days' time, the Lord Jesus was risen for our justification. And for 40 days more, God's footprints were seen once again, after which time Christ ascended into heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God, to rule over his church and to to pour out gifts upon his church by his Spirit. And while we believe and confess that Christ is indeed there for our good, we we do long for that day, don't we? We shall see him face to face in glory. When our face shall finally be made sight, when all these things shall finally be revealed, we'll be able to look back and see, wow, look, look at God's footprints. They were everywhere. But until that great and glorious day, our confession of faith remains the same as it's always been, that although God's footprints are now unseen, his presence is undeniable. Of course, the Apostle Peter reminds us in his second letter how scoffers will come, how they'll, they'll laugh when they don't see the evidence of these footprints. Peter says that they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are, are continuing as they always were from before the beginning of creation. But God has given us faith to believe what we cannot see, hasn't he? And he has given us faith to confess, we confess in Lord's Day 9 of our catechism, that, that nothing comes our way by chance or by happenstance, but all things by, by the hand of him who has become our God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. And so we can sing tonight and every night, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Oh, be our guard while troubles last and our eternal home. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, again, we come before you at the close of this year, and we give you thanks that though we cannot always see your footprints, your presence is undeniable. We thank you, Lord, for your gracious ear that you allow us to express the burdens of our hearts, the doubts of our minds, and that you turn us not away. And perhaps, Lord, some of us here have had doubts and fears like the psalmist in these last two years especially. And we've come to wonder at times, where is the Lord in all this? And why are you doing what you're doing? But Father, we pray that you would grant us the grace and the faith, the commitment to faith to to remember the great and wonderful works that you have done for your church throughout the ages. To remember how even as you brought your people Israel through the waters of the Red Sea, so too you brought us through death itself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we can be sure that you are always faithful to us, and that you will never forget us or forsake us because you forsook him as he hung upon that cross. 
And so, Father, we pray that you grant us the faith to make our confession of faith in this world, to confess our faith to our neighbors, to tell them also of, of your grace and of your glory, of your unseen footprints. Lord, no doubt many people of the world scoff at the thought because they cannot see your footprints. But we pray that you would also grant faith to them that you would show them and us that your promise is not delayed and that you long that all should come to repentance and faith as the Apostle Peter went on to say. Lord, these things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.